what God is teaching us is that there is a battle that we're to be involved in. And what God's using this series to do, for some people at least, is to begin to get them in on the stuff, begin to get them in on the battle, begin to get them in on the fight, begin to wake up to reality, begin to smell what's going on around us. And one of the exciting things is that people are beginning to do that. We're, we're, we're seeing people begin to shift gears from second-gear mediocre Christianity into fifth-gear hypo-drive warfare Christianity. And that's where stuff starts to get fun. That's where it starts to get exciting. That's where it starts to get good. It's also where you get shot at a lot. And I've seen the last week, just last two weeks, especially the last week, people reporting all over the place, man, it, we are just getting shot at. And I want to know if you're up there getting shot at. Hello, join the crowd. Welcome to the battle. I'm right there with you. Um, but that's the battle. I mean, there's no way you can go on the front lines and not get shot at. So I guess the good news is get used to it. But the even better news is that there's some things you can do about it. And one of the things you've got to do is put on the full armor of God. We've been talking about that. So let me read the passage here from Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start with verse 10. <clears throat> read through verse 16. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. In His mighty power and in the Lord. Not yourself, Greg. In the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You've got at least four levels of spiritual powers you're fighting there. Because of all that, he says in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when you're under attack, in other words, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Verse 14, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And now verse 16, this is this morning's topic. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In addition to all this, in addition to your belt, in addition to your breastplate, in addition to your shoes, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We pray, Lord, thanks for getting that distraction out of the way. And now, Lord, I just ask for a double portion of the anointing that was so powerfully here during the worship service. Lord, I pray for that anointing in a double way to be present with the words here. Because, God, if there's anything I know, it's that we do not change on our own effort, and I don't change anyone with my effort. Lord, I confess out loud that words are powerless to change. The best of ideas are just dry information unless your Spirit is there, infusing it and making it come alive. And I pray, God, for a hundred people here this morning, the coin would drop in the slot for the first time, and they'd realize that you didn't call them just to get saved. You called them to do warfare. God, turn us into a mighty, mighty, celebrating, dancing, out-of-control army. Give us a vision for what that's going to look like and what damage we can do to the enemy in our lives and in the lives of others and in the Twin Cities, Lord, if we take that seriously. God, you've got to open our eyes, like Elijah's servant, open our eyes. Give me the words to speak here, Lord God. And put a shield around me as I speak, because I think this really makes the enemy mad. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Here's, here's the deal. First question I want to ask is, is this. We've asked it with regard to every article of clothing we've, we've been dealing with. 
What is it about that article of clothing that makes Paul tag it as that dimension of spiritual war um, that he's talking about? For example, what is it about the breastplate that makes Paul say that our breastplate is righteousness? We saw a number of weeks ago that it's to protect our vital organs. What is it about a belt that Paul says that our belt is in the spiritual realm is to be truth? Paul's not just getting poetry here, folks. He's talking real spiritual reality. We've got a belt, and the belt is truth. What is it about a belt that, that makes Paul identify it as truth? Well, it's what we're supposed to hang everything else in our life on, openness, honesty. What is it about shoes that Paul leads Paul to identify it as, as walking with the gospel of peace? And what we saw last week was that we need to have a center of peace, unconditional peace that passes all understanding if we're going to go into battle. We need to walk on that. Don't carry your shoes while you're stepping on pins and needles. Put them on. The Holy Spirit is there not to be carried, but to carry you. So this morning I want to ask this question. What is it about a shield that makes Paul tag it as a shield of faith? What is shield like about our faith? Not only that, but what is it about what is it about faith that or that shield that allows you to extinguish flaming arrows? And why are those arrows flaming anyway? Arrows don't normally flame, and you don't usually go putting off fire with a shield. So what's going on in this passage? That's what I want to get clear on that first, and then talk a little bit about it. Here's the thing. When I think of a shield, I, I think of, um, you know, Ben-Hur or Spartacus, and, and I, I get those little, uh, you know, like flying saucer discs that they carry on their arms, and, and, and I get a picture of that, and, and they're out there fighting, you know, with one hand, and they're, they're you know, blocking, and you know, and, and you know the Hollywood thing, and they got a disc there, a trash can sort of, and, you know, they're fighting. And that, when I think of a shield, I think of that. In fact, initially, I, I was, several weeks ago, when I first started wondering what I was going to preach on here, I, I, I was going to make some, get some mileage out of that, like, Faith, you've got to be able to move it in all directions or something corny, I don't know. But here's the thing. The Romans did use that kind of shield. They had a shield that they carried on their arm, um, and when they went to hand-to-hand combat, that's what they used. But that's not the kind of shield that's being talked about here. The word that Paul uses for shield here is a very particular kind of word. It's, it's thurion, and thurion referred to a very particular sort of shield. It was a shield that was about four and a half feet tall and about two and a half feet wide. It was made out of wood usually. It was covered on the outside by some kind of metal or better even, uh, some kind of rawhide or leather that was soaked in water. Now, why would they have that kind of shield? Here's why. Let me ask this. How many people here saw Braveheart? I saw the movie Braveheart. Oscar Award, best movie there. I feel led to speak about not going to violent movies right now. Right now. Here. What did you go to see Braveheart for? Well, here's the deal. Uh, some of you saw it, some of you didn't. But in that movie, they had a number of scenes, very violent scenes. Um, but the, it was really kind of necessary to drive home the point about how much courage it took to go do a battle those days. Nowadays, we're very polite about battle. We just push a button, and we incinerate a million people in some other country. We don't have to see it. But traditionally, war has been a very, very bloody, gory, ungodly thing. I got a sword, you got a sword, let's try to kill each other, and bam, you get 10,000 people meeting on a battlefield, and afterwards, whoever has the most people left standing wins. And it was really, really bad. But as you saw in Braveheart two times, the first thing that happens when they're going to battle 
aside from some antics, <coughs> is is that <coughs> never mind. That was not historically accurate. But they, they, one would be on one side of the field, another battle army would be on the other uh, side of the field. And the first thing is that you have your archers, and they'd take those bows and arrows back, and they'd, and they'd, you'd have 10,000 arrows going in the air to land on the other army. Before you ever got within range of fighting hand-to-hand, you'd shoot out those arrows. For about 2,000 years, this was a normal strategy of war. You stand over there, we stand over there, we shoot our arrows, you shoot our arrows over there. Because when you go hand-to-hand combat, the main way you win is by having more people than the other one, and you want to outnumber them, so you want to kill off as many people as possible before you ever start going uh, hand-to-hand. So the first thing that happens is you shoot the arrows. One thing that armies have traditionally done in this situation is, is they take those arrows, knowing that you have like a 1 in 10 chance of hitting somebody or hitting them in a way that's going to kill them, what you do is you'd wrap some cloth around it, you dip your arrow in tar or what would they call pitch, you set it on fire, and then you shoot the flaming arrows, 10,000 flaming arrows going through the sky. You saw them, Braveheart. You would land. Because now, even if you don't get hit in the vital organ, you get hit in the leg. But what happens is that, 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 that pitch will splatter, and now you've got burning tar all over you, and you're going to burn up. But at the very least, even if it lands next to you, the, the pitch would splatter, and you'd catch on fire. And it's very hard to go into battle when your leg's on fire. And... But see, here, here's what happened. The Romans had a guard against this. Now, these, these, these shields were very expensive, so only the Romans had them. Barbarians didn't have them. They'd have to fight the, the Arabs on the, on the south. They had to fight the Nordic tribes, the Vikings on, in the north. Um, but the, these people tended not to have these kind of shields, but the Romans did. These huge thudions. And they'd go into battle with all of these. The front row would have all these, these shields. You saw a little bit of this in, in Braveheart too, although they weren't thudions. They'd go into battle. The enemy would shoot the arrows into the air. And just as the arrows were in midair, the commander would just say a command, like kneel or whatever, and the guard would just go down and put that shield up. You could put your whole body under the shield. The arrows would hit, but they'd hit wet cloth, wet rawhide, and be extinguished. And that's how the shield put out the arrows. As soon as that attack was over, they'd put their shields up again, and they'd move on. And the next time the enemy tried to shoot arrows, they'd go down again. Battle, the attack was over. They'd get up and march onward towards them. And then when they got close enough to do armed hand-to-hand battle, then they'd put down those shields, and they'd use their, their, their uh, smaller shields as they went to hand-to-hand combat. The application, I think, is obvious. But it's vitally, vitally important for us. Reality of the situation, though less than one out of a hundred people in Western culture are aware of it, and less than one out of ten Christians are aware of it, but the reality of the situation is that right now as I'm talking to you, there are flaming arrows going at me and maybe flaming arrows going at you. The reality of the situation, though we are systematically taught to censor this out, every other primitive people on the planet are aware of this, but Western people aren't. The reality is that the physical world that we're in here, this dream world, this prelude world that we're in before we get to the real thing, is the world that is ransacked with warfare and there are flaming arrows going on all over the place. The reality of the situation is that God's given us some arsenal to protect ourselves against that, but if you're going to protect against it, 
you first got to become aware, your eyes have got to be opened up to the reality that you're under attack. Now, sometimes the enemy attacks with flaming arrows, hot arrows, arrows with a cloth and pitch and tar and fire wrapped around them. He attacks in very obvious ways, sometimes. Not a few of us in this auditorium have had over-demonic attacks where we've had nightmares, demonic nightmares or demonic visions or seeing things or, or what happened. Some of us have dealt with that. In fact, more people in Western culture deal with that than we ever know because it's not okay to talk about it, even as I say it. Some of you have got the opinion that now we're getting flaky and no one wants to think that anyone else is flaky, so we shut up about it. I took a secret survey once at Bethel College, um, which is pretty staid. Uh, these aren't like, you know, flamboyant, flaming, tongue-talking charismatics running around all, all over the place. I took a, a secret survey to say, how many of you have seen in your life firsthand demonic stuff? And I gave some examples. I'm talking supernatural and demonic stuff. And not a majority, but a high minority had. I'm talking... Things levitating and, and uh, uh, all demonic stuff. But no one talks about it. So everyone thinks that they're just peculiar weird for having it. Church is so good at doing that. But usually the enemy doesn't attack like that. Sometimes he does. It's a strategy of intimidation. I'm going to scare the kajibers out of you so that you're not going to go do what you thought you were going to do. And it works to a lot of people. If you're not aware of it, you get freaked out by it and... I, I knew one Bethel student who made a covenant with the devil one time that he would never bother him if the devil wouldn't bother him because he saw some of this over-demonic stuff. Usually, however, the flaming arrows are much more subtle because that's what tends to work more with us. Flaming arrow, it can be something that appears to be very natural and on one level, on a flesh and blood level, it is very natural. But the enemy takes some tar, some, some pitch and a flame and he shoots it at you so he intensifies it to make it worse than it is. So you're ten, you tend towards depression, but the enemy puts an arrow on that, so all of a sudden out of nowhere you're getting extremely depressed. you got an arrow of depression or of despondency that just hits you. Now if you don't tag it as an arrow of despondency, if you tag it as just something else, you'll be wrestling against flesh and blood, but you'll never be wrestling against the principalities and powers that are using the flesh and blood against you. You ever get hit with a, a, an arrow of futility? I, I, you know, that, that's one of the things. You know, the enemy customizes these arrows. This is, this is a gray arrow. If I don't have a shield of faith, if I get hit, and one of the arrows is kind of a shield of futility, a sense of, like, what is the point of it all? What is the point of it all? Or I just say, and I can, I can sit down and I can tell myself, okay, I know what the point of it all. da 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 the enemy says, you're not doing any good in the kingdom. This is all just a big blah. This is a big front or whatever. And I can sit down and I can tell myself, no, that's not right. You know, I can look at the evidence. But see, it's not a question of evidence. It's not a question of what you see. It's not a question of any of that. It's a flaming arrow. There's a spiritual dimension in all of this. Sometimes you get hit with a flaming arrow of temptation out of nowhere. Maybe it's even a temptation that you thought you conquered about 15 years ago. And bam, all of, it, all of a sudden it's there. Lust all over the place. Where'd that come from? Well, I wonder. Flaming arrows. Flaming arrow of fear. All of a sudden. All of a sudden you get this idea. It's, it's like uh, things are going bad and they're only going to get worse and they're never going to get better. Things are going bad and they're only going to get worse and they're never going to get better. And What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Boom! Out of nowhere. Anxiety. Sometimes the enemy very frequently shoots at our emotions, those kind of emotions. Other times he shoots at our circumstances. He manipulates circumstances. He makes an arrow out of your marriage 
or an arrow out of your kid. And some of this in a natural, in a, in, in a fallen world is going to happen anyways, right? You know, uh, you're going to have marriage problems. You're going to have kid problems. You're going to, you know, have relational problems. That's going to happen in a fallen world. Trials will come. What the enemy does is he puts a little pitch to it. He puts a flame to it. And he shoots it at you. And so now, rather than just being a normal marital problem, it's got a destructive dimension to it, a spiritually destructive dimension to it. You ever been hit with that? All of a sudden, you wake up one day and you don't like each other. It's like, you start biting each other. Where'd that come from? Well, yeah, some of that's just you having a bad day. But there's a destructive element to it. If you let that go for too long, it starts to really eat and decay at your relationship. Or flaming arrow of kid rebellion. All of a sudden, your kids explode. Oh, there they are. Now, kids are going to explode once in a while. Sometimes you want to literally explode them, but sometimes they're, you know, they're going to do that. But the enemy wraps it up in pitch, puts a flame on it, and then shoots a bunch of discouragement and depression and puts a lot of stuff on it that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And bam! You just get it. And you start to get consumed with it. It splatters everywhere. The stuff kind of contagious. And you're on fire. Those are arrows from the enemy. We've got to tag them as arrows from the enemy. Yes, it's flesh and blood. Deal with flesh and blood. But there's a dimension to it that isn't flesh and blood. Paul says, we don't only wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces of evil in high places. They got the arrows and they're shooting at you. The thing is, is that if, as long as we think that it's only flesh and blood, like we instinctively do, you develop your own strategies for dealing with it. Like, you know, an arrow's coming and, and you think, well, I can dodge that one. Watch. There it is. Oh, here comes another one. I can dodge that one. But see, the thing about arrows is where there's one, there'll be 10,000 more coming. That's how they always did it. The first thing in the battle was, shoot 10,000 arrows. They never just shot one. Like, that's going to intimidate the Roman army. Hey, I'll shoot my arrow. No. When it rains, it pours. You try dodging all those, and you're going to get hit and on fire. Or we, we develop nice, clever ways of, of putting out fires or of, or of uh, pulling out arrows or pretending that we don't have and pretending like we're not hit when we are hit. Because we think, oh, this is just part of life, you know, we just got to learn to accept these kind of things, I suppose, you know, and it doesn't really hurt that bad, and granted, I am on fire and everything, but I, it's really not that bad. I can still smile. See, Paul tells us that there's a dimension to this stuff, and you've got to know this dimension of this stuff, and there's only one thing you can do against the dimension of this stuff. It's not dodging. It's not strategizing. Yeah, yeah, dodge when you have to. Strategize when you have to. I'm not saying be irrational. But with regard to the fire dimension, with regard to the destructive dimension of that arrow, with regard to the pitch on the arrow, with regard to what the enemy has in mind in manipulating your circumstances or manipulating your feelings to make them into a destructive arrow in your life, with regard to that, there's only one thing that will protect you. And Paul says it's a shield of faith. Now, faith is this. Faith is saying yes to God no matter what. Faith is saying I choose to trust God. Faith is believing God regardless of what is, is, is going on. Faith is saying I trust the character of God, I trust the Word of God, and I'm going to believe God. And Paul says that when you believe like that, when you walk like that, when you breathe like that, then when the day of evil comes, you got something to duck it under. you got a shield there. you got something that's strong. And not only will it keep the arrow from getting you, it will squash the arrow. It will extinguish the arrow. This arrow is wet. It's wet with the washing of the Word. It's soaked all over the place. And an arrow can't stay lit when it gets hit there. 
You've got to pick up the shield of faith. You say yes to God. It's a decision that, that we make. And it doesn't come natural for us Western people, but it's got to be there. The arrow of fear is coming at you, and that's the time when you say, I choose to believe this because God puts His own character on the line with this one. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. I am loved with a perfect love. I choose to believe that. The Bible says that greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. I, I choose to believe that. When the arrow of discouragement comes, you choose to believe that God is the, the glory and the lifter of our head. We sing that song. It's a, it's a psalm. It doesn't mean that God's going to decapitate you. Right? We, we sing that. I don't think a lot of people know what it means. It means it, it was an old Semitic phrase to lift up your chin. In the midst of the fire! Yes, Lord. He lifts up your chin. And He says, I give you a reason to rejoice. He is your encouragement. In the midst of what looks like obvious defeat, you duck under the shield that says, He's made you more than a conqueror. In the midst of the arrows of anxiety, you duck under the shield of the peace that passes understanding. In the midst of the, the, uh, uh, the, the attack, the arrows of the lies of the enemy that says that you're never going to do anything here, you, you, you duck under the word, you duck under the truth, you exercise faith, it's a, it's a decision you make, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith it's impossible to please God. Jesus always said, according to your faith, be it unto you. This, we're talking central stuff. This isn't, isn't peripheral. Choosing to exercise your faith right when the battle is tough. In fact, the more it appears that faith is ridiculous, the more you've got to exercise faith. Because one of the arrows that's coming at you is an arrow that says faith is ridiculous. When you're under attack, that's when you really need to have the faith. It's easy to believe God for your finances when finances are going great. But can you believe God, can you exercise faith that He shall supply all your needs when your company just went belly up? That's a major arrow. You don't even need a shield when, there's not a, when you're not under attack. What do you do when you're under attack? What do you do when you're confronting sickness? That's the time when you need to exercise the faith that by His stripes we are healed. What do you do when you're struggling with bitterness? That's the time when you've got to confess the truth that Jesus Christ, His character, resides within you. And out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But it's a choice that you make, and the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. The bottom line is this. Folks, army, soldiers, warriors, hear this. You'll never, ever, 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 ever be walking in what God has for you to walk in until you begin to consciously and deliberately make a decision to believe God in spite of all the reasons you have for not believing God. This is, I love it when people say amen. I, I, I just, that, that, that was energizing. It's like, whoa! It, 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 it tells me, okay, you got it. You got that one. Okay, good. It's encouraging. Bible says in Ephesians 1, some of you were back here in Ephesians 1, it seems like about eight years ago, but, but in Ephesians chapter 1 we learned that we have been, when you get saved, you don't just get saved, you get blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But the thing that activates that is faith. It, it, it's what unlocks the door, it's what unclogs the sink, it's what just lets the thing flow, it, it uncorks the volcano. You've got to believe it, you've got to receive it. Everything hangs upon faith, trusting that God is God. Making the decision, I'm going to believe this and I'm not going to believe this. All the evidence says this, too bad, I choose to believe this. Because God is on this side. Let God be true and every man a liar. I exercise faith, I make a deliberate choice to believe that. And that's your shield. And hold that shield up. And that's the one thing, the only thing that's going to 
thwart the flaming arrows of the enemy in our life. Let me say a couple things about that. One thing is this. The purpose for a shield, and I'm going to make probably four points, but it might not end up three, it might go five. We'll have to see. we we got time for four. Now the Lord's got to give them to me. But the purpose for a shield is not to hide. You know, look at that. Yeah. The purpose for a shield is not to hide. What would it be like if I'm going to battle, you know, we've we got this wall of shields here, we're going to battle. Well, the captain says, time to kneel. So we kneel, and we're under there, and the, 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 the arrows come, and we take it. But then I say, you know what? It's kind of nice here. I don't have to look at the enemy. Uh, they look so mean and nasty. There's so many of them. But right here, this feels really safe. I feel really secure here. It's kind of warm. The sun's kind of hot. I'm, it's shady here. i got a bag of lunch. I think I'll just kind of... I'm going to park here. You know, this wouldn't make a bad house, really. If you could put your shield this way, we'll make a little house here. And the enemy will never, 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 ever, ever get it. And they'll just go away. Okay. It's a comical picture, but sometimes, let us be real, believers do this. I can't. Faith becomes the way to be an ostrich where you put your head in the sand and pretend like the world's just not there. La 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 uh, we're, we're being hit. We're hit. We're being hit with, with so many things. And maybe we come out to go to the bathroom. We go to, we come out to go to work and we come down to eat supper, but otherwise we're just up there just saying, Oh God, I believe, I believe, I believe and receive. Oh yes, Lord, you know, you're gonna make... You see, that's like, you know, it feels so good to be just confessing it there. Oh God, you're just gonna make it all better. Yes, you are. It's gonna be all better. I'm going to walk out. It's going to be all better. You open the door. It's not all better. So you go back and, oh, yes, it's going to be all better. It's all better. You open it up. And she's still, you know, mad. Like, oh, well, okay, God, you're going to make it better. Make it better. Oh, please, you make it better. You know, there was a passage in Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua got his tail kicked by the Amalekites or, or the people of I. A-I. I. They're Irish. I. They went up and fought the Irish and I. And, and they got kicked. So Joshua comes back and he says, Oh God, make it better. Oh, I just confess that you are Jehovah Jireh, my mighty warrior. Go out and beat those Irish up. Just do it, do it, do it, do it. And finally God said, Joshua, read about it. It's in Joshua 1 or 2, right around there. He says, Get up off the ground. Yeah, it's great to confess that I'm Jehovah Jireh, mighty warrior, El Shaddai and all the rest. But now, I'll show you how Jireh I am. Jireh, get out there and start fighting. If you're going to walk in faith... In other words, faith isn't there to protect us from reality. The purpose for the shield is, yeah, you duck under it when the arrows are coming, and then you get up and you start marching forward again. The purpose for the shield is to allow you to get into arm-to-arm battle. Faith isn't to be something that we run with, that we retreat with, that we lock ourselves up as scared. It shouldn't be what makes you retreat from the marriage as you go hide in your closet and just start confessing nice stuff. Faith is there. Yeah, pray. Yeah, do intercession. Yeah, you need time in the closet. But the time in the closet is there to get you out and start getting you back into the marriage. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle in flesh and blood, and you've got to deal with flesh and blood. I just get so tired of Christians running because it's not a flesh and blood thing. They think that they, don't, they can just ignore flesh and blood. 
Well, your wife is flesh and blood, and you've got to deal with this, folks. This is where the reality is. Yeah, have faith. Be strong. Confess the truth. Walk in the truth. And now get out there and clean the garage. Amen. Warfare is very practical stuff. Warfare is, you know, would you ever ask her why she's angry? Maybe there's a legitimate reason here. Practical stuff. Faith is there to lead you to be more invested in your husband, more invested in your wife. It gives you strength to deal with the kids. It gives you strength to deal with the financial ruin. It gives you strength to deal with the job. It gives you strength, hallelujah, amen, to deal with neighbors. It gives you strength to deal with sicknesses that are there. It gives you strength to deal with discouragement. But it never, ever legitimizes running from the stuff and locking yourself in some ivory tower, silver lion castle that you make of your own imagination and calling that of God. I, I just, oh, I could go on this one. I got, I got to move on. But, but you know what? It just gives God such a bad name when people think when they, when they call, when they call retreating and 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 swallowing, getting swallowed up in religious cliches, they call that dealing with reality. I talked to my husband not too long ago. who was just saying, you know, I, I'm just believing God. I'm believing God. I'm believing God. And I asked him, when was the last time? You know, because they got a lot of problems. I mean, this thing was going down the tube. When was the last time you just said, honey, what can I do for you? You know, yeah, do your confession stuff. And now, ask, what can I do for you? Here's it. Springtime, spring cleaning. Oh, I'm going out of limb on this one. Uh, do what I'm going to do this afternoon. So, you say, honey, how about if you give me a list of things that need to be done? I got an amen there. Okay, all the guys are starting to look. This guy is dead meat. Get out your flaming arrows. <laughs> it cuts both ways. Okay, a second thing. A second thing is this. Faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. We sometimes think that faith is just a... Um, uh, how you doing? Okay, oh good, yeah. I thought you were like trapdoor time. Uh, faith, faith, faith is a choice. Sometimes we think that it's, we're just products of our environment or... You can't help what you believe. You know, I just I guess I'm just skeptical by nature or whatever. We are rational beings. We, 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 we think rationally, and it's good to talk about what you ought to believe on a rational basis. But here's the truth. is that What's even more fundamental, fundamental than reason is will, our will. People, we all, Christians and non-Christians alike, we believe what we want to believe. If believing in a God is going to impact my lifestyle in a negative way, I can find reasons not to believe in God. People believe what they want to believe. If that wasn't the case, we would have a much less promiscuous society than we do. Because there's plenty of evidence out there that being promiscuous is really bad for your health. It's very dangerous. But every study has shown that AIDS has hardly curbed sexual behavior at all. Why? Because people believe what they want to believe. It's not going to happen to me. It happens to them, them, and the other person. But it's not going to happen to me. I choose to believe that. Why? Because I like to have a lot of fun. And this is really important to me. So it is in a reverse way for, for Christianity. Faith is a choice. Now, it's not always an easy choice. I know that because this is the hardest part of my whole Christianity, is choosing to believe stuff. I get screwed up faster than anybody in this auditorium on that one. I really do. That's why one of the, one of the favorite people, my favorite people in the Bible, is that man who had a demon-possessed son. The disciples came and they couldn't cast the demon out of the boy, and Jesus came and, and Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And the, boy, and the, and the father said, yeah, I believe. But would you help my unbelief? For some reason, when it comes to kids, it's really hard to believe. Jesus, yeah, 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 you can do it. But I help my unbelief. And Jesus, like the pygmy that I confronted at the Pentagon, said, "Good enough." And he prayed for him. Pray that God would fan your faith. Pray that God, God, faith can be a gift. 
Pray that God would give you more faith. Fan the faith that you have so you can believe that the Word of God is true right when you need the most, when you're under attack. Here's another thing that just I'll throw out and I'll talk about it more at a later time. But repetition is the key to transformation. Repetition is the key to transfer, character transformation. What I mean by that is this. The question is, one of the most important spiritual questions you can ever ask is, what do you think about when your mind is idle? What does your mind gravitate to? Because the Bible says that as you think in your heart, so are you. You need to, if you choose to believe, if you, if you choose to believe, it's time to get off the fence and go with it and start living your faith, thinking your faith, breathing your faith, digesting your faith. And the way you do it is by taking what's true about you in the Word of God and putting it into your brain, saturating your brain with this stuff. So you're walking around saying to yourself while you're in the bathroom, while you're going to work, while you're getting dressed, you're saying to yourself, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In Christ Jesus, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The love of Jesus Christ flows out of me right here and right now to that person that I feel like I hate. Um, um, I am the, the vine and he is the branch. I derive my life from Jesus Christ. His character, his holiness resides in me right now. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. And on and on and on. You take the truth of the Word of God and you just stuff it into your brain to the point where there's no longer any room for lies. And you do that before you get under attack so you have a shield to raise when you're under attack. You follow on that? One of the most, here's another sermon that we're not going to preach, but one of the most important things you've got to learn, this is the sign of maturity. This is almost like a barometer of maturity is this. When you realize that your feelings are never a source of spiritual information. Because your feelings are the single most vulnerable thing in your body. The enemy shoots for that more than anything else. Feelings. But I don't feel. But I feel this. But I feel this. You've got to make a decision. What do you choose to believe? You choose to believe your feelings or you choose to believe this? Maturity happens. Victory happens. You begin to walk in the stuff that God has for you. When you learn how to listen to your feelings when they're doing God's stuff and ignore them when they are not. Because they are just the most fickle thing in the world. What you ate this morning determines your feelings. So forget feelings. Go on the truth. And the final thing is this. Here's another sermon we're not going to preach. But those Romans, they never went to battle alone with that shield. They, they would go side by side. Their shields would be touching one another. That's why they were two and a half feet long. They'd just get, so, so an arrow couldn't get through and they'd march. Boom, boom, boom. This wall. They call it the wall. The shield's coming. When the, when the arrows would fly, they'd get down. Shields, thudions, faith shields were never meant to be carried alone. When I get hit, I'm taking some shots lately. But I had some people last night that we could get together with. And you can even say, you know what? Right now, my shield is very heavy. And i got a fire to put out. Would you hold your shield over me? The thing about the body of Christ is you can borrow faith. You really can do it. It's like sometimes I've seen people get healed when they say, I'm too tired to believe. Right now, I can't even believe that God can do it. The people up here praying say, you know what? We'll believe for you. We'll believe for you. This man said, I held my unbelief. The disciples weren't even good enough to cast the demon out. But Jesus had the faith to get that thing out of there. There's a time when we need to stay. We need to walk hand in hand. We need to stand together. We need to be rooted with one another side by side, shoulder to shoulder, marching into battle. When you take any part of your body and put it outside of your body, it dies immediately. When you're walking alone, you're trying to do the Christian thing alone, I guarantee you, you're never going to get far into battle because you're all by yourself. You may can protect this 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 arrow or that arrow, but they're coming in at the side and you're going to get hit. You need the body of Christ. You need people who care about you. You need people who pray for you. You need people who love you. And there's going to come times when you're on fire and you're going to say, would you hold your shield over me? Because right now, I really got a fire to put out and it's really hurting bad. And that's what the body of Christ is for. Amen.
Amen. We sing that song. In fact, we're going to close with it. Let's listen to it. We sing the song, We Shall Stand. You know what I like about that song? What I like about that song is the we. The we. It's not that I shall stand with my foot on the rock. No. We shall stand with our feet on the rock. Setting our faces like flint. By the way, that means like a rock. Like, still like Fred Flintstone what? But it's, it's a rock. I resolve. I'm going into this. And I'm going to stand on the rock. And nothing but nothing is going to deter me. But we do it together. Let's sing it together. Let's sing with this. Let's just praise God. Let the Spirit fall. Let's stand together with the shield of faith. Amen.